0: Take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. We are in our series on a model for servanthood. You know, trying to convince somebody of the need for serving or servanthood can be like trying to teach a fish how to walk. Just doesn't come natural, right? Our natural tendency as human beings is to think of ourselves first, right? I mean, that, that's the comfortable thing for us. But to consider others as more important as ourselves, as Philippians says, uh, that takes a supernatural kind of transformation. I think of the last meeting that Christ had with his disciples before he went to the cross. Remember the scene? He has a, a basin and a towel, and he wipes the feet, washes the feet of the disciples, really setting a course of how he wants the disciples, the future church leaders, to serve others, to serve one another. You know, I mean, if you're not a musician, uh, chances are you're not going to understand the value of a Stradivarius. If you're not a collector, uh, you're not going to understand the value of a Honus Wagner or a Babe Ruth baseball card. And if you're not a follower of Christ, chances are you're going to view serving as a nuisance or maybe even more, an obstacle to achieving your own personal goals and aspirations. Paul writes this section of 1 Thessalonians to bring value to servant characteristics and to have us feature them in our own lives. So let's stand as we look at the passage. You know, many products are made to imitate the real thing, right? Uh, You have plastic decking to look like real wood. Uh, You have vinyl flooring that's to appear like ceramic tile. Uh, You can purchase fake fur or, or jewelry. And, of course, you now can have fake body parts as well. And the purpose behind all these seems fairly obvious, but how about this? Did you know that you can buy a can of spray-on mud? It's true. If you have a 4x4 or an SUV, you can spray mud on the side of your vehicle to make it look like you just took your ride for an adventurous spin instead of really just taking your kids to their soccer game. Yeah, that's what I say. Wow. By the way, sales are going very well. This was invented in London, by the, a man by the name of Colin Dowes, he said, "If they if they want an authentic look, there's not a lot else that they can do. There's not a lot of mud in Chelsea. Fifteen dollars for a can seems a reasonable price for the appearance of authenticity. The appearance of authenticity. Now, when you think of Christians living the Christian life." the appearance of living the Christian life seems to be more important than the actual life itself to many. I mean, there are many expressions of imitation Christianity that people want to pass off as the real thing, right? Uh, Good wishes can often be mistaken for prayer. Success can be misconstrued as some kind of spiritual achievement. Excellent music can take the place of authentic worship of the heart. Loud sermons or humorous or emotional stories can be passed off as inspired sermons. Christian cliches can be passed off as biblical wisdom. And even an attractive personality can be mistaken for a person who's filled with the Spirit. The real thing? Well, I would suggest the real thing is easy to spot, but much harder to do. And that is a person who obeys Jesus Christ and is a servant. That's it. Obeys Jesus and serves well. And 1 Thessalonians gives us a roadmap for really what that looks like. And last week, we learned about how effective servanthood is, that it sticks to God-given objectives, that when under pressure, it still pursues truth, pursues authenticity, pursues integrity. And today, we see a new one, that servants pursue God's approval. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Now, I suppose some can read this verse and think that uh, this gives us cause to be rude or ill-tempered, toward others. I mean, some folks take pride in turning people off and then saying they are being, you know, persecuted for Jesus. Listen, God does not reward us for being rude or insensitive or or callous to others. Paul is addressing here our ultimate motive and helps to clear away any ulterior motivations. We We serve ultimately not to build a huge crowd, right, not to impress somebody for personal acclaim or the approval of men, but for God to ultimately say to us those words, well done, good and faithful servants, good and faithful servant. So notice this passage. I mean, if... Nothing motivates us, this ought It says, God tests our hearts. God tests our hearts. Well now, first of all, what's the heart? The heart, we might call it the control center. Some would, you know, look at how the culture defines heart and you think of it as kind of just feelings or our passionate core as in romance, you know. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks of the control center. It's that which, it's our thinking part of us It's that which controls the will. That's a part of the heart, the part that thinks and chooses. So the point that 1 Thessalonians makes is that God holds us accountable for what is in the heart. And by the way, Jesus said in Luke 16, 15, God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. Aren't you glad your boss does not know your heart, or you might be guilty of murder. The point is, is that what is real is what is on the inside. The things that we sit there and fester about and and muse about, this is the real person. That's the real stuff, what is under the hood. It reflects the real values, the real thinking, and sometimes we can fake it. Sometimes what we say and do isn't necessarily What is the real stuff? And that's why Jesus said this. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's a separation between their heart and what they're saying. Now this is sad, is it not? That's a sad place to be in because Jesus is talking about religious people and really not just religious people, but religious leaders. What they say is that who they really are. It's all a show. You see, you can serve on a board. You can get up in front of people and speak and teach. You know, you can maybe have some religious cred with other religious people. And the organization may even experience some success in an external sense. But God sees the real stuff. And God knows our hearts. It's why James says that, you know, teachers shall incur a stricter judgment, should make us pause whenever we get in front of people that God knows our hearts. If we know this, that God knows our hearts, well, what's it mean that He tests us? He tests our hearts. Well, God tests us in this life to reveal the true nature of our hearts or our faith. Listen to First Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. How many of you have been grieved by various trials? Grieved by various trials so that, check this out, so that the tested genuineness of your faith "...more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." It may not be fun in the moment, but what God is trying to do is shine a light on what's really going on in your heart. You see, you were praying all the time, God, get rid of these tests, get rid of these trials. And God is trying to show you what's going on on the inside. He loves you too much to let you go with all that crud, and he wants you to address the stuff so you can live in freedom and live in peace address what's on the inside. Now listen, if you're a real servant of Christ, this is great news because you want your heart to be pure. You want your heart to be right. So knowing that God is working on it, that God is behind the scenes, always moving things so that we can see what's on the heart, that's good news because, man, I want my heart to be clean. I want to serve Christ. For those that are hiding, it's not great news right? because I don't want people to see the real me. I'm comfortable hiding. So your perspective can kind of determine whether you're grateful for this, joyful for the trials, or thinking, no thanks. This past week, Janet and I had some dear friends over. I got to tell you, it was not my best moment. I didn't realize what was going on in my heart at the time was kind of a delayed stress reaction. I mean, those of you that are type A personalities will, will understand this, that, you know, you drive and you drive and you drive, and when a time comes to kind of sit still, your body is still like revving up, your emotions are still revving up, and you're sitting still. It's like you are at a nine, and all it takes is a little ding, and you're like, whoa, you're over the top, all right? And that's where I was this week. In front of our guests, Janet did something incidental. It wasn't her, it was me. And I went, you know, Over, and was rude to her, had to apologize to the guests and to her. Isn't it funny how, by the way, those that you value the most, that you're closest to, can see the stuff and are often your first line of defense to say, hey, you know, check what's going on under the hood, guy. Your margins are slim when you're at an eight or a nine. But I was able to address it, get it right with the people I defended. The point is this, though. What went on, the stress, the tests proved what was in the heart, revealed what was in the heart, and I had to address it. Now, if I had just gone on days, weeks, months without addressing it, then, you know, you're going to hear sermons that, I mean, what is up with that guy, all right? That guy needs some rest. He needs a vacation, all right, he needs to get with it or something. And you just see it. It starts affecting every other area, right? Not just those closest to you. God often tests us with the things that go on in our life that you might see as irritants, but it's a way to say, hey, check out what's under the hood. It's an oil light. It's going off. Check under the hood and get it right. Now, there's another kind of test that takes place. And that is after this life is done, We stand before God and he reveals to us the state of our hearts. 1 Corinthians 4.5 says this, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So if you are, for instance, seeking to honor God, and you're serving God. And let's say you didn't see a whole lot of external results. You didn't see a lot of people responding. You're going to find this to be tremendous encouragement because there's going to come a day in which God is going to honor you. You could be in a marriage and your spouse is a real jerk, doesn't give you attention, but you're trying to love well. You don't want to bail. You made this commitment to God. You made this covenant. You want to serve your spouse and love well, even though you're not getting a whole lot in return. I want to tell you, God will reward you richly. You say, well, you know, my spouse is still a bum. Listen, God is still going to reward you. It may not even be in this life, but it will be in the next Thank God for that, right? But listen, it's true. This is not just some fairy tale. This is God who's saying, listen, you continue to serve well. And whatever God has put you in, God is going to reward you. That's good stuff. Now, many people think that when you start talking about the heart, you know, you're thinking about the passions or or desires, you know, whatever feelings you have going on, that you don't have control. So you just kind of, you know, i got this inner child in me. It's got to bust out. You know, whatever I'm feeling, i got to act on. We we have no control over the stuff on the inside. I'm not sure Jesus thought of it that way. It seems that God is calling us to manage our hearts in the power of Christ, to control our thoughts and passions. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. He said, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Well, now, wait a minute. All of us have been troubled. All of us have been afraid. All of us have got stuff going on in the heart. And I think what he's saying is, you know, when you have these things go on and you meet up with trouble, you're you're not at peace, you don't have to stay there that you are able to manage your hearts, manage your thinking, manage your perspective so that God is able to give you peace and freedom in that moment. You may not get out of the circumstance, you know, that you see as a negative, but Christ provides peace in the midst of that, and he also gives us endurance with whatever it is that we're faced with. Do not let your heart be troubled. We are accountable. We are responsible. So, God is going to test our hearts whether or not we are man pleasers or God pleasers. And Ephesians 6 6 says that as bondservants, we're to do the will of God from the heart. I love this about Christianity. It's one of the things that attracts me to being a follower of Christ because. The Christian life is not about doing duties. I mean, there are responsibilities we have, and you know, there there are moral absolutes, but it's all to flow from our heart. That God addresses what's on the inside. There's a there's an authenticity and integrity that's supposed to be in the Christian life, and not just a list of how many are tired of just a list of rules for Christianity? I mean I lived that. We all, we all know what that can be like. And those periods of time do not give you confidence. It does not, you know, render peace. So we're to be bondservants from the heart. And in case you're ambivalent about this, and you think, well, you know what? I think I can still seek the approval of man, you know. I gotta, I gotta have that fuel every once in a while, right? And still be a follower of Christ, Listen to this in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Whoa. I mean, there you have it. You cannot be a man pleaser and serve Christ at the same time. Those things are in conflict with one another. Having a heart that is motivated To seek the approval of others is in direct conflict with being a servant of Christ. Clyde Cook, former president of Biola College, said this, I don't know the secret of success, but I do know the secret of failure. Try to please everybody. Yep. The actor Hugh Jackman, who played the lead role in X-Men and Les Miserables, describes some of the deep wounds that still drive him years later after his childhood. See, when he was eight years old, his mother left him, his father, and his four elder siblings. And when he realized that his mother was gone for good, Jackman talks about being too frightened to even enter into the family home. And in an interview in 2013, he said, I was terrified because I was the first one home every day. I used to walk home from school and wait outside. I just wouldn't go in. He said his father, Christopher, seemed to compensate for the pain by working long hours as an accountant. And Jackman said, my father could only come to one school sports game a year because he had five kids, and on Saturdays he had to shop. If my father was there, it'd be 50% greater. Having his approval is something that still drives me. And he admits an ongoing struggle with fear and anxiety and people-pleasing. And although this has been quieted to some degree in in adulthood, it has not disappeared. And he notes one thing, that when he was at a play in Sydney, and there were, there were notes for the audience, and in the notes was a quote by Bono, and this is what it said, what kind of hole exists in the heart of a person when they need to have 70,000 people scream, I love you, in order to feel fulfilled? Whoa. And you know what? You don't need to be a rock star to know what it's like to have that hole. Constantly be searching. Because we make idols, don't we? We make idols out of our spouses. We think, you know, I'm not going to be happy unless I have this spouse approved of me. Unless I have them tell me what I need to hear. Right? We do it all the time. And then our world just falls apart if we don't have that. And we have certain people, could be a parent. I'm just not going to make it if I don't have this or that. i got to have this acclaim. i got to have that job. And just fill in the blank. Then I'm going to be fulfilled. You know what happens? You have those things, you just move on to something else because you realize that didn't work. Because there's a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill to know the unconditional love of God that is in our life. Now, I'm not saying don't be pleased when people love you. I love it, all right? All right? But I have to realize that I have a hole in my heart. I have needs that Janet can't touch, my kids can't touch, this church can't touch, that only Christ can meet. And if I'm looking for them to fill those holes, I'm in trouble. And if I look for you to tell me, hey, that a boy, way to go, you know, good sermon, great, all that. You know, if you look for that and that's your motivation man, you are in trouble. And it's not that you don't appreciate people being thankful, you do. But that can't be the motivation. And it can't be our motivation when we're at work and you're sitting there getting discouraged because your boss didn't thank you. Right? I mean, you tell me, how does that differ from being a man pleaser? Because you get discouraged. Now, I get that. We're very human. And we meet up with that feeling Initially, and then i got to say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, okay? What's going on? What's going on in my heart right here? i got to realize, I work, I'm a bondservant of Christ, and I work for his approval. I mean, just think of it, that if we could approach our marriages, our relationships in family, our relationships at work, having the security of Christ in our lives, imagine how well we'd love them. Imagine how well we would handle conflict at that point when we walked in that security. And I don't need your approval. But we have such a need for that from others. It ought to ring a bell in us. Wait a minute. Is this good? Is this good? That I've got, I've got such a need and want for this kind of thing? Because... This is something that God needs to fill, right? Let us realize that what we're talking about here when we talk about approval from God is much different than being accepted by God. They're not the same thing. Anyone who is a child of God, let's understand this, is always loved and accepted by God. Being accepted is about our position in Christ, our, our, our connection with God through Christ. And as a child of God, that never changes. But acceptance is not the same as approval. As Christians, we are all accepted by God, but not every action or motive is approved by God. Just like when you have children, you will always love them. They are always accepted as our child, But I guarantee you, if you're a parent, you don't approve of everything your child does. But if you don't learn how to separate those two things, Katie, bar the door. You're going to have some screwed up kids who understand that unless they're perfect, they're not going to be loved. And that's the way many Christians view the Christian life as well. Unless I live perfectly and follow all the rules, God's not going to love me. But those are two different issues. And we just got through talking about abiding in Christ, that when I'm living a disobedient life and I'm not abiding in Christ, it affects my my relationship in terms of fellowship and closeness with God. But if I'm walking in disobedience, it's not like God completely disconnects and says, you know, I'm never going to have anything to do with you again. So acceptance and approval, two different things. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's highlighting or addressing approval issues. So let's look at one other characteristic of being a faithful servant of Christ. We are approved when we are faithful to the gospel. Now for Paul, this meant living consistent with his calling to preach the gospel. He was not to water it down Or fail to convey the gospel if he anticipated opposition. In fact, our passage says here he was entrusted with the gospel. That means he was to protect it, he was to care for it, he was to guard it, he was to see this as a precious treasure that God gave him to deliver to others. In fact, listen to the marching orders concerning the gospel in 2 Timothy. He says this for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I mean, the reason that the Elliots go to a foreign country is because God has entrusted to them the gospel. Why else would they go? Why else would they leave a life in Kansas City of relative comfort, leave their children, go to a foreign country that, by the way, is fairly antagonistic to the gospel? Why would you do that? God has entrusted to them the gospel And they are responsible for it. And listen, you might might be saying, boy, God bless those missionaries who take the gospel. God bless them that they've got the gospel entrusted to them. Listen, the gospel is entrusted to you and me. It's entrusted to you and me. You say, well, I'm not going to go to a foreign country. I didn't say that. But you have a story to tell of how God changed your life. God has forgiven you of your sin. And we recognize his redemption in our lives. We thank God for that. I mean, listen, if you won that, you know, St. Jude home giveaway, you give $100 and you get a ticket and they take all that money and help pay for the house and they throw all the tickets together, grab one, you could win a three, $400,000 home, right? Great gig, If you won that, I bet you would have no problem with sharing with people about your new home and how you obtained it. You'd be happy to share your story. And if St. Jude came along to you and said, listen, in order for you to keep this house, all we ask, tell one person a week about how you got this home. You got a problem with that? Heck no, I got no problem with that. I got a $400,000 home. I don't mind telling people about how I got that, right? Would it be worth it when you're headed to hell God turns you around, forgives you of your sin, you get a new life in Christ, you get eternal life, Christ in you, would it be worth sharing that story? (laughs) I don't have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with that? I would do that with great joy, sharing how God has changed my life, taken the gospel, transformed me. I don't have a problem with sharing that. You got a problem with sharing that? I don't. God gives us all these things and he asks us to live within that redemption, to live that gospel message out. And I realize each day that God has forgiven me. I live in light of his acceptance and I seek his approval because I already have his acceptance through Christ. That's the gospel. God gives us all that and he says, hey, would you just mind one, one thing, by the way, as you continue to obey me? Just share that story every once in a while as it's natural how God changed your life. You mind doing that? Because you know what? I have entrusted to you the gospel. I don't see that as a burden. I see that as a tremendous joy that I get that opportunity to share. It's the most glorious thing in the world. Nothing jazzes me more than that. had some couple that going through premarital counseling recently. We talked about, you know, God uh, working in your life, and it was obvious. Neither of them had really come to a personal relationship with Christ. And before they left, they both trusted Christ, and now they're going to start this marriage as two believers versus two unbelievers. Man, I left the church parking lot. I was, the, the car was off the ground, okay? I mean, right? There's nothing more exciting than to share how God has changed your life. I think we can handle that kind of deal. So we are faithful to the gospel when we share the story of redemption in our life and we live in light of that. Let's pray.